Section four of Under the Greenwood Tree. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Under the Greenwood Tree by Thomas Hardy. Part one. Chapter four. Going the rounds. Shortly after ten o'clock, the singing boys arrived at the tranter's house, which was invariably the place of meeting, and preparations were made for the start. The older men and musicians wore thick coats with stiff perpendicular collars and coloured handkerchiefs wound round and round the neck till the end came to hand, over all of which they just showed their ears and noses, like people looking over a wall. The remainder, stalwart ruddy men and boys, were dressed mainly in snow-white smock-frocks, embroidered upon the shoulders and breasts in ornamental forms of hearts, diamonds and zigzags. The cider-mug was emptied for the ninth time. The music-books were arranged, and the pieces finally decided upon. The boys, in the meantime, put the old horn-lanterns in order, cut candles into short lengths to fit the lanterns, and a thin fleece of snow having fallen since the early part of the evening, those who had no leggings went to the stable and wound wisps of hay round their ankles to keep the insidious flakes from the interior of their boots. Melstock was a parish of considerable acreage, the hamlets composing it lying at a much greater distance from each other than is ordinarily the case. Hence several hours were consumed in playing and singing within hearing of every family, even if but a single air were bestowed on each. There was Lower Melstock, the main village, half a mile from this, with a church and vicarage and a few other houses, the spot being rather lonely now, though in past centuries it had been the most thickly populated quarter of the parish. A mile northeast lay the hamlet of Upper Melstock, where the tranter lived, and at other points knots of cottages, besides solitary farmsteads and dairies. Old William Dewey, with the violoncello, played the bass. His grandson Dick, the treble violin, and Reuben and Michael Mayle, the tenor and second violins, respectively. The singers consisted of four men and seven boys, upon whom devolved the task of carrying and attending to the lanterns, and holding the books open for the players. Directly music was the theme, old William ever and instinctively came to the front. "'Now mind, neighbours,' he said, as they all went out one by one at the door, he himself holding it ajar and regarding them with a critical face as they passed, like a shepherd counting out his sheep. "'You two counterboys, keep your ears open to Michael's fingering, and don't ye go straying into the treble part along a dick in his set, as ye did last year. And mind this especially when we be in Arise and Hail. Billy Chimlin, don't you sing quite so raving mad as you fain would. And all o' ye, whatever ye do, keep from making a great scuffle on the ground when we go in at people's gates, but go quietly so as to strike up all of a sudden like spirits. Farmer Ledlow's first. Farmer Ledlow's first, the rest as usual. And, Voss, said the tranter terminatively, you keep house here till about half past two. Then heat the metheglin and cider in the warmer you'll find turned up upon the copper. 
and bring it with the victuals to church hatch as thus know. Just before the clock struck twelve, they lighted the lanterns and started. The moon in her third quarter had risen since the snowstorm, but the dense accumulation of snow-cloud weakened her power to a faint twilight, which was rather pervasive of the landscape than traceable to the sky. The breeze had gone down, and the rustle of their feet and tones of their speech echoed with an alert rebound from every post, boundary stone, and ancient wall they passed, even where the distance of the echo's origin was less than a few yards. Beyond their own slight noises, nothing was to be heard save the occasional bark of foxes in the direction of Yalbury Wood, or the brush of a rabbit among the grass now and then as it scampered out of their way. Most of the outlying homesteads and hamlets had been visited by about two o'clock. They then passed across the outskirts of a wooded park toward the main village, nobody being at home at the manor. Pursuing no recognised track, great care was necessary in walking, lest their faces should come in contact with the low-hanging boughs of the old lime-trees, which in many spots formed dense overgrowths of interlaced branches. "'Times have changed from the time they used to be,' said Mail, regarding nobody can tell what interesting old panoramas within an inward eye, and letting his outward glance rest on the ground, because it was as convenient a position as any. "'People don't care much about us now. I've been thinking we must be almost the last left in the county of the old string-players.' Barrel organs and the things next door to em that you blow with your foot have come in terribly of late years. Ay, said Bowman, shaking his head, and old William on seeing him did the same thing. More's the pity, replied another. Time was long and merry ago now, when not one of the varmints was to be heard of, but it served some of the choirs right. They should have stuck to strings as we did, and kept out clarinets and done away with serpents. If you'd thrive in musical religion, stick to strings, say I. Strings be safe soul-lifters as far as that do go, said Mr. Spinks. Yet there's worse things than serpents, said Mr. Penny. Old things pass away, tis true, but a serpent was a good old note. A deep, rich note was the serpent. Clarinets, however, be bad at all times, said Michael Mail. One Christmas, years ago now, years, I went the round with a Weatherbury choir. "'Twas a hard, frosty night, and the keys of all the clarinets froze. Ah, they did freeze. So that was like drawing a cork every time a key was opened, and the players of em had to go into a hedron ditcher's chimney corner and thaw their clarinets every now and then. An icicle of spit hung down from the end of every man's clarinet a span long, and as to fingers, well there, if you'll believe me, we had no fingers at all to our knowing. I can well bring back to my mind, said Mr. Penny, what I said to poor Joseph Rhyme, who took the treble part in Chalk Newton Church for two and forty year. 
when they thought of having clarinets there. Joseph, I said, says I, depend upon't. If so be you have them tootin' clarinets, you'll spoil the whole set-out. Clarinets were not made for the service of the Lord. You can see it by looking at em, I said. And what came out? Why, souls, the parson set up a barrel organ on his own account within two years of the time I spoke, and the old choir went to nothing. As far as luck is concerned, said the tranter, I don't for my part see that a fiddle is much nearer heaven than a clarinet. Tis further off. There's always a rakish, scampish twist about a fiddle's look that seems to say the wicked one had a hand in making of em, while angels be supposed to play clarinets in heaven or summat like em, if ye may believe pictures. Robert Penny, you was in the right, broke in the eldest Dewey. They should have stuck to strings. Your brass man is a rafting dog, well and good. Your reed man is a dab at stirring ye, well and good. Your drum man is a rare bowel shaker, good again. But I don't care who hears me say, nothing will speak to your heart with the sweetness of the man of strings. Strings forever, said little Jimmy. Strings alone would have held their ground against all the newcomers in creation. True, true, said Bowman, but clarinets was death. Death they was, said Mr. Penny. And harmoniums, William continued in a louder voice, and getting excited by these signs of approval, harmoniums and barrel organs, ah, and groans from Spinks. Be miserable. What shall I call them? Miserable sinners, suggested Jimmy, who made large strides like the men and did not lag behind like the other little boys. Miserable Dumbledores. Right, William, and so they be. Miserable Dumbledores, said the choir with unanimity. By this time they were crossing to a gate in the direction of the school, which, standing on a slight eminence at the junction of three ways, now rose in unvarying and dark flatness against the sky. The instruments were retuned, and all the band entered the school enclosure, enjoined by old William to keep upon the grass. Number 78 he softly gave out as they formed round in a semicircle, the boys opening the lanterns to get a clearer light and directing their rays on the books. Then passed forth into the quiet night an ancient and time-worn hymn embodying a quaint Christianity in words orally transmitted from father to son through several generations down to the present characters who sang them out right earnestly. Remember Adam's fall, O thou man, O thou man. Remember Adam's fall from heaven to hell. Remember Adam's fall, how he hath condemned all 
perpetual therefore to dwell remember god's goodness o thou man o thou man remember god's goodness his promise made remember god's goodness he sent his son sinless our ails for to redress be not afraid in bethlehem he was born o thou man o thou man in bethlehem he was born for mankind's sake in bethlehem he was born christmas day in the morn our saviour thought no scorn our faults to take give thanks to god alway o thou man o thou man give thanks to god alway with heart most joy give thanks to god alway on this our joyful day let all men sing and say holy holy having concluded the last note they listened for a minute or two but found that no sound issued from the schoolhouse. Four breaths, and then, oh, what unbounded goodness, number 59, said William. This was duly gone through, and no notice whatever seemed to be taken of the performance. Good guide us! Surely tisn't a empty house, as befell us in the year 39 and 43, said old Dewey. Perhaps she's just come from some musical city and sneers at our doings, the tranter whispered. Odd rabbit her, said Mr. Penny with an annihilating look at a corner of the school chimney. I don't quite stomach her if this is it. Your plain music well done is as worthy as your other sort done bad, I believe, souls. So say I. Four breaths and then the last said the leader authoritatively rejoice ye tenants of the earth number sixty-four at the close waiting yet another minute he said in a clear loud voice as he had said in the village at that hour and season for the previous forty years a merry christmas to ye end of section four recording by rachel linton bristol uk Carol, sung by Ruth Golding.